Welcome to the Allies Podcast. I'm your host, Carmen Farino. Hi, this is Carmen Farino, and welcome to another edition of the Allies Podcast. Uh, with me today is Dina Silver Pokedoff, who is a friend and colleague of mine for nine years as of last week. Welcome, Dina. Thanks, Carmen. Happy to be here. So um, I wanted to talk about um, this concept of being an ally, uh, and maybe um, we can start with kind of where you grew up and, um, you know, what it was like um, kind of in the in the 80s and, and 90s uh, growing up in uh, the Philadelphia suburbs. Sure, sure. So I grew up in a town called Hatfield, Pennsylvania. It, it's most known for... Hatfield Meats, the home of the Smiling Porker. Um, there was a meat factory around the corner. Um, and it really, you know, very much suburban, almost in the rural um, area. I mean, very, about 45 minutes northwest of Philadelphia, um, a community that my father had been recruited to be an orthopod at one of the local hosp- hospitals. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, so my parents had grown up in in Philadelphia, and then they made their way out into really the burbs or even really into the country, so to speak. So um, Hatfield, Pennsylvania is where I grew up. So your your dad's an orthopod. Mm-hmm. Orthopedic surgeon. Yeah. Or he's retired now, but yeah. Mm-hmm. So what was that like growing up with a with a doctor in the house? Um, well, you know, my father was working all the time. Um, he had a beeper um, back in the day, and you know he, you know, the, one of the most uh, things I remember the most about my father being a doctor is that we would be eating dinner as a family, and as soon as we finished, like literally put the last bite of food in our mouths, my father was like, "Got to clean up now," and I was like, "Can't we just sit for two seconds and relax?" But he was very much wanting to make sure that he could help. With cleaning up because he was concerned he'd get a beep and off he'd have oh. to go, right? Because it's a small community hospital. Um, something could happen, an accident could happen, and he'd be called into the hospital. <laughs> so, um, you know, having a, a doctor, you know, my father as a doctor, um, you know, afforded us a lot of wonderful opportunities. Um, and it was, you know, great to have that inspiration. Both my, my sister went into medicine, I thought about going into medicine. Um, but I, um, my, my strongest memories are of him, um, rushing through meals so we could get the work done and he could be available to help us. Cause it was quite a challenge on the family cause he was called in a lot. <laughs> and, and what did your mom do? So my mom was a stay at home mom for a, a portion of time. And then when I was pretty young, um, she decided she had worked at the Academy of Natural Sciences in Philadelphia when she was in high school um, and right after high school. Um, and she was uh, had made her way to be um, the ad- administrative assistant or uh, assistant to the chairman of the board at the Academy mm-hmm. of Natural Sciences. But she had started working there uh, while my father was in college and then when he was in medical school. Um, and then after she had children, she had stopped working for a bit. And then she decided to go back. And it was quite the drama in the family. Um, mm-hmm. My father was not thrilled. You know, why would a doctor's wife need to go to work? 
Um, but she really wanted to do it and she loved being at the Academy. Um, she made fantastic friends. She loved the work she was doing. Um, and actually she has a fish named after her because one of her dear friends was an ichthyologist and he had discovered a fish in the South Indian seas and named it Procytus Judithae after my mother. Um, she loved the Academy and um, it still holds a you know sweet spot in my heart because I know how much she loved it there. Wow. So that's the, that's the title of your, of your early years biography, right? Uh, <laughs> Orthopods and ichthyologists. Yes. And that, but that's a, that's a very interesting kind of environment to grow up in, right? You yeah. Have, you got a working mom, yeah. a, a driven working mom. And I remember, you know, having the, you know, the woman who helped clean our house, she drove me to my dance classes. And, you know, I was, you know, not, not many moms were doing that back in the day, mm -hmm. um, working outside the house, at least, you know, when, when I was a kid. Um, so it was quite a model um, for, you know, somebody who didn't have to work, um, mm -hmm. but wanted to. And um, in terms of the siblings, um, what order are you in? I'm the baby. Um, so my my sister uh, was first, then my brother, and then me. And there are two years between my sister and my brother. And there are just about 20 months between my brother and I. Um, so really, my mom had three very young children back yeah. to back to back. Yep. Yeah, that's almost Irish twins there. Almost that's Irish twins. Very unusual for a Jewish family. Uh -huh. yeah. <laughs> but yes. So what's it like um, growing up the baby in that environment? Were you, were you coddled? Were you, were you pushed around? Were you kind of like my grandmother used to say with uh, six kids that the oldest hit the next, you know, youngest all the way down to Joe, who was the absolute youngest. And he just kicked the crap out of the dog because he had nobody else. Well, so, I mean, was it like that or was it, did you, did you have a uh, kind of a non-contentious relationship with all that going on? You know, I think that the, the biggest thing that stands out from my, you know, my childhood is that I was extremely independent. I think by the time mm -hmm. I came along, my mom had her hands quite full. Um, and so there are, you know, family myths that I potty trained myself, mm -hmm. um, that I, you know, when we moved to Hatfield, we'd originally been in New Jersey and we moved to um, Hatfield when, you know, I was maybe three um, and there are stories that I wandered around the neighborhood. I made my own friends, uh, including our neighbor across the street uh, who became my Aunt Mel and Uncle Ernie. And I would go over there and spend my time. And so I'm a very independent kid um, because of the fact that I think that my mom had her hands full and also because of my personality um, as well. So um, to say, you know, my brother and I probably had the most contentious of a relationship. Um, my sister and I never really had any issues. My brother never stopped seeing me as the annoying little sister. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, for the most part it wasn't, well, other than my mom saying at one point where my brother and I were fighting, here's a knife, get it over with. Uh, yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. <laughs> just do it. Kill him already. <laughs> just take it, get it done. <laughs> <laughs> it's taking too long. Well, I mean, but I, th I think it, no one that knows you would be surprised that you would be, you know, out introducing yourself to people, um, <laughs> kibitzing on the, like the first day there. Um, exactly. So 
with with that, um, when did you kind of get the the feeling that you wanted to do something professionally that was kind of more in the public eye, or at least kind of you know managing that type of environment? Yeah, I mean, I was a pretty lucky kid. I mean, I was. I think we've talked about this before. I was on the what I would call the spoiled side in that, you know, pretty much everything had come to me pretty easily. And I had gone to college thinking I was going to be a doctor. Turned out it didn't work out for me to take the right classes. So I ended up taking French and political science classes and just did things that I loved. And mm-hmm. then I walked away from college with a, oh, somebody will just hand me a job perspective because, <laughs> you know, it, it had all come to me so easily. Mm-hmm. Uh, in life. And so when I graduated, it didn't come so easily. I had no idea what I could offer people other than the fact that I'm a nice person and that I spoke French and I mm-hmm. could think. Um, I was a good thinker. I've always been a critical thinker. So mm-hmm. I actually went to, there was a woman in Chestnut Hill who was a career coach and she had me complete the exercises that were those, I don't know if you remember the book, What Color Is Your Parachute? Mm-hmm. Uh so I did the, you know, all of the coaching with her and we walked away from that with either I could go to law school mm. or I could get into communications. And I really wasn't sure which direction to go. I, I, I thought either one could be a fit. I had always felt that if I could represent someone, I could probably do a good job. It was just an instinct. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what that meant. As I said, I studied French and political science. I didn't know communications was a field. Mm. Uh, I didn't know what public relations was. It wasn't something they had offered at college. It wasn't one of the the disciplines when I went to school, so or where I went to school. Yeah. And so I decided to give it a try. Uh, I offered my services for free to a French organization called the Alliance Française which is a French language and cultural school. And I said, I will answer phones, lick envelopes, do whatever you need if you will let me help you do some communications work, whether it's for an event or a press release you need just to give me a chance to get the experience. And and so I did. That's not an unusual thing for people like us you to know, fall into it, it or no to push your way into oh. <laughs> to uh, not to fall into it i mean you know i i graduated in uh in in uh 1990 which was like the beginning of a, of a recession mm-hmm. and i came out thinking i would you know get a job pretty quickly and i didn't get anything for six months and i was writing gre tests graduate school tests and proofreading court cases and delivering subpoenas which I do not recommend ever delivering subpoenas. Um, <laughs> but but calling people up on the phone and asking to do something for free or in, in our job um, is kind of one of the ways to get your foot in the door. Mm-hmm. So once you do that and you're learning that way, when did you realize that it was something that you had a particular talent for? And what do you think that talent is? Because I think question. it may be different than uh, – I may think you have a different kind of core talent than you think you do. That's a fantastic question. I mean, for me, it was about making connections and the ability to look at a problem and solve it. I I think that's why, you know, it could have been either law or communications for me. 
mm-hmm. because it's it really truly is critical thinking skills and problem solving skills. And to me, that's why a liberal a liberal arts education is so powerful. You really can explore all different kinds of topics without a specific end goal in mind and walk away with the ability to think critically about any topic, no matter what it comes at you, whatever comes at you. Mm-hmm. So I think I too also had graduated in the middle of a recession. It was 93. You know, it still was not doing so great from an economic standpoint and it wasn't so easy to find a job. But I think that being able to make connections and to uh, help, I like helping. Um, So I don't know. It's some combination of the critical thinking skills, the problem solving skills, the making connections that's what really kind of stuck for me. Yeah, I, I, I think I do agree with you in, in a lot of ways in terms of what the core skill is. But there's also, there's also something that you, that you do that a lot of people don't do, which is to take something that looks difficult and challenging and make it seem possible for people. <laughs> and I think that um, there's, a, there's a level of critical thinking, but there's also an, a, an ability to, to sort and to, to lead mm-hmm. that, I, that I find interesting. And you're not shy about um, offering your opinion if you disagree with something. So how did you get that? How did you get the confidence to tell people um, that your point of view might be significantly different than theirs, because I've seen you in situations um, offer a unpopular or challenging opinion um, very smoothly, very confidently. Thank you. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I, there's part of me that thinks it goes back to being the different kid. Um, so I was talking about how I grew up in Hatfield, you know, very much a small rural community where I was maybe in a class of, you know, at the high school and, the, and then the middle school and, and the like out of a class of hundreds, maybe being one or two Jews out of all of these Mm -hmm. other people of different religions and different backgrounds. So I've always felt that I was slightly different um, than the people around me. And so I had to get comfortable with sharing my view, which may not be the same view as everybody else's. Uh, So I think that I like, I think back to that um, and getting comfortable with being uncomfortable and not always hmm. being around people who are like you. Well, what's that like? Um, what's it like growing up um, as a Jewish woman, uh, as a minority, and a lot of other people um, like that in your community? Uh, and, and then maybe give me, give me a sense of, of what it feels like um, right now so, to be a Jewish woman. Yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, for me, uh, being Jewish in a community there were really not very many. It was the places where I found others like me that I got to really be myself mm. and to really get comfortable with being myself. So that whether that was at my synagogue and in my youth group or when I went to camp, the summer camp is where I really discovered you know, this is the, these are my people. Mm-hmm. Um, and yes, there were Jews, but there were also non-Jews. It was just finding um, that those places where I could really be comfortable with, with others. Uh, so I think that, you know, when you've been in a place where you are one of a significant minority, 
in a community, mm-hmm. I think that that gives you a perspective about what that feels like mm-hmm. and it gives you the ability to look at situations like what's happening in our world today and have a level of empathy and connection to the situation um, that others may not have who <laughs> maybe you know not never had to be the other um, and you know look I mean Jews have been going through this you know for centuries and centuries and, and eons right um, mm-hmm. but so have other populations and communities. Um, and so I think that that is why I, you know, as I look at what's going on in our world today, you know, Black Lives Matter, and I have such a strong connection to what's going on because I can, I can relate in some ways, not in all ways, but in some ways enough that I, uh, don't dismiss, you know, their perspective. Yeah. And I, and I think that's kind of the, the intent of this is that, you know, no one's going to be able to match experience for experience another person. Um, but having empathy and having, um, an understanding of what it's like to be, you know, kind of the, the minority or to be the the person who's different. Um, a lot of people will find the thing that makes them different and then look at the world and say, well, you know, how, what's the advantage of that? You know, what's the, what are the challenges to overcome? So I, I kind of throw it back at you as a, what is it about being Jewish that you love? What's unique that somebody who isn't Jewish may not understand? And, and why is it um, so important in terms of your identity? Well, so being Jewish is obviously it's a religion, uh, mm-hmm. but it's also a culture. There is a culture to being Jewish and a certain um, style of comedy and and humor. Uh, there is a, a way that the community relates to each other and looks at how they should care for each other. Mm. Um, there's a, uh, a a phraseology, a, a, a thinking in in Hebrew uh, and in the Jewish religion of tikkun olam, which is to heal the world, and that is mm. our our role as Jews is to ensure that the world is healed. And so, you know, I think that I really identify with that. It's just a big part of who I am. Um, And it's where I feel the most at home and comfortable. So I, I think the idea of healing the world gives me a very good insight into you. Yeah, repair the world, heal the world, whatever the whatever the rabbi might translate it into. <laughs> oh, but that's what I'm going to go into. I'm going to go into the fact that, um, you know, I like I told you I did like the swab thing, and I found out it was like 10 percent Jewish, and it was like it was a big thrill for me. I don't um, remember that. I mean, I know the stories of, and I actually had been thinking a lot about this about the connection between Italians and Jews, especially in certain communities in the Philadelphia area, and the yeah. fact that you grew up thinking a bagel was Italian. Um, That's true. Yes, there was that. But that was, that was, that was just happened to be a, a, a coincidence of neighborhoods though. I will, I will give you, but I, I think that from, from what I can tell genetically that um, I'm not Ashkenazi, I'm Sephardic. So part of that Southern European diaspora that, um, you know, if you go to Rome, there's a whole Jewish section. Mm-hmm. Um and I think that there's a lot more Jewish integration into Italian 
culture than people realize. Absolutely. I I mean, when you go to Rome, I mean, my husband and I had gone there and I remember going to some of the ruins and there was, there's an entire connection and I'm terrible. My memory is awful, but I remember very specifically the connection to the Bible and to, to Jews Mm -hmm. in, um, it was really close to the Parthenon. I'm trying to remember, shoot, I'm sorry. I don't remember the the story, but there is a, you know, there's a ton of connections. Yeah. A ton of connections. Well, and I, and I think that, you know, part of, part of the cultures, the, 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 argumentative nature the mm-hmm. the debating nature the mm-hmm. the sheer volume of talking <laughs> i'm amazed that um, and and eating and eating well that's true yeah you can't get away <laughs> from that i mean honestly i think we, we have to hold knives in front of our uh our grandmothers to get them to stop feeding us um, correct correct but but i also noticed that and one of the things i love about about the jewish religion is that you have not just the Torah, but you also have the Talmud. Mm-hmm. So you have this this document that is about the interpretation and the debate mm-hmm. of everything. And I find that fascinating that, especially with you, because looking at things from different perspectives is kind of your, it's, it, it's your window in. Mm-hmm. To mm-hmm. so much to say. Well, let's let's hit it from this side and see if that works, or have we looked at it like this? So, and to question things. I mean, mm-hmm. I try really hard to not just accept, you know, what I'm told for at completely at its face value. I think you know the idea to question, to question it all, and to really look at it critically um, is important. I I have to say, I think that it's part of why I love I'm a, such a francophile as well, because there is something to the debate culture that I actually really love. Um, and I know that it can be infuriating and exhausting that the French love to debate things, but I actually like it. Well, yeah. And, and, and you can tell because there's a piece of me from the waspy side of my family, from my mom's (laughs) side that is, you know, that sometimes freezes up with that level of, um, passionate debate. Like who, Mm -hmm. am I getting yelled at? You know? And, and I've noticed with you, you just you separate the volume very well and put it aside and say, okay, well, here's the issue. And then you go at it. And I wanna I have a couple of examples of this. <laughs> the one that the one that um just truly amazed me and um <laughs> and just kind of um had me stand by in awe was when we were we were in Deauville. Yeah. Um, I knew you were gonna bring this up. <laughs> so, so everybody who's listening. So this is let me let me give the setup. Um, so we go to this French village uh, in Normandy, one of the ones that was you know smack dab in the middle of um, of D Day, right? So it's got all of this kind of weight of the French and the American kind of interactions, and there's a uh, 400 French people and people from all over different parts of Europe, uh, and Dina and I. And she speaks fluent French, so in a lot of cases, I'm listening to her talk to other people. Um, but there have been protests that week, I guess, against LBGTQ people adopting in France. That's right. And as we were moving with a large crowd, um, one of the senior people in the company um, mentioned that he was on the side protesting against these diverse people adopting kids. and. Um, I think it had something to do with the potential for baby farms or something. Um, mm-hmm. 
So I'm going to hand it over to you for how you approached that. And then I'll give my perspective of, uh, of what I saw happen. But, uh, so tell me, tell me what you were thinking when, when that person raised that issue as a, as a valid issue and, and how you responded. Sure. Sure. So, I mean, very senior person, but something extremely influential in how you manage your career in the organization. So not somebody you, you know, take lightly at all. And, I think that what happened was, and we were there with with him and another woman who from the communications team, another senior uh, representative of the organization, and it was really more talking about traffic and what had been going on in Paris, and and it really it completely took me by surprise. Um, his perspective, I, I never would have thought that a he would you know share his view, but and also very publicly, and as almost expecting that I would agree. Mm-hmm. with his perspective. And so I really wasn't, I took it as a moment to really try to understand. And I think that that's really where I, I bring my, both my personal approach to life, but also my approach to business and relationships is, you know, trying to understand somebody else and understand the, their perspective and not bring judgment to it. Of course, I have my judgments behind the scenes, but I, I mean, I'd be remiss if I didn't share that I completely found his perspective completely, completely offensive, but I didn't really in the moment take offense to it. I really was just curious to understand like, really? Why? Like what, what would drive you to the streets to protest against something that is to me so very fundamental that and also, you know, I think that the specific issue at hand was the ability to use surrogates and um, other ways of having a family other than, um, so it was definitely focused on men having babies um, together. Um, and so as a woman who had struggled with infertility and had had the only was able to have children because of some of the science that allowed it. I think I also it, that there was a there was a combination of being the other, combination of my own experiences with infertility and wanting to have children and knowing how desperately I wanted a child, and putting myself in the position of these men who want to have children. And yeah. so to, to, I was so surprised to have um, that perspective, not only the perspective, but that he had gone out and protested. Um, against the ability for the you know for 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 gay men to have children, and so I just wanted to understand where was this coming from, why, what what was so offensive about it, and it, it's really truly the first time in my whole professional career that you know I was being explained what sperm was in French, you know, mm. <laughs> you know, and like and trying to understand what the issues were from a. Um, societal perspective from this executive's view. So let's, I want to unpack a little bit of that because um, <laughs> there was, there's a couple of things in there that I found um, just so admirable. Well, thank you. Um, well, just in, in the moment even. Um, so I'll tell you my, I'll tell you. Well, actually Maybe? I have a very specific recollection that you're like, I think I'm going to go walk away and get a drink right now. <laughs> I just got to put it out there. I don't think you stayed for the whole conversation. No, no, no. What I, what I did, what I, what I actually did was I, I removed myself from the conversation and I, and I, I can give you the, the rationale 
why. Um, but as I heard you talking, um, I actually decided to stay close and hear how it resolved. Mm-hmm. So I was probably one or two steps behind you as you kept walking. But I'll tell you my thinking. Um, and maybe this does have to do with how we grew up. Um, and, and maybe it has to do with um, a different way of being the other. So, you know, I because I grew up in a, in a blue-collar family, the exposure to corporate environments or, or you know, white-collar environments was, was nil. There wasn't any. So every time I go into those situations, the baggage I bring is as a blue-collar person trying to understand a white-collar world. And, you know, it's been 30 years, so I, I get a pretty good vibe on how to okay. fit in. Um, but when I hear that type of ignorance, I, I basically have two choices for me because I tend to be more of a flamethrower type of person. Um, <laughs> either, I'll, either I'll get outraged and I'll tell people what I think and then I, I'm done and I walk away. Or I go through a process in my head that went something like this. Ignorant guy, man, mm-hmm. not understanding, not going to bother, file it away in terms of his worldview and step aside. And that's... Yeah, but I, 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 the only thing I would say, the reason I think that I engaged is I think that if you can understand some yes. of the perspective, you can potentially not look, you're not going to change somebody's view completely, but you might throw a little bit of doubt into the way that they think, or you might ask them to think about it in a different way without asking them to think about it in a different way, just by it, your reaction. Oh, I agree. I, I actually, that, that was, you, you changed to a certain extent, you changed or you, or you kind of reverted my behaviors back to the way I had been, you know, 25 years before. Um, because I, I think I got pretty jaded with the reactions of kind of uh, professional men over mm-hmm. over time. Um, but 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 here's here's what I what I thought was amazing, and I agree. It's it's your willingness to start with understanding mm-hmm. and ask and ask people in a very nice way mm-hmm. some provocative questions, and then listening to their answer, kind of take it to the next step, the next step, the next step. So that part was like a masterclass for me to listen. <laughs> I'm like, okay, this, I can, I can file some of this stuff away as extremely useful. Um, and then the other thing was once it was over, it was just over. It was just a conversation and, and move on. I'm like, huh, right. okay. So that was another lesson. Um, but I'm going to, I'm going to attach that to something else. Political leaders. Um, I went into the government relations portion of our job um, work, when we worked together, um, very jaded and knowing enough close-up work with politicians. But you had your eyes open for some of that. So yeah, how does I that did. work? How does that work when you when you have one view of what a politician's purpose is and you see that changing, especially in light of how you seek to understand? Oh, that was pretty rough. I mean, I, I will say that, you know, I've always, you know, I, I, as, as I had noted, I studied government relations. I actually worked on a political campaign for a state mm-hmm. Senate race in New Hampshire early in my, you know, early in my career. Actually, the, the, the gentleman who ran the summer camp that I'd gone to my whole life and then I worked at through college and he was running for state Senate. And so 
I you know, ran his campaign because um, I was between jobs and he knew I was into politics and there you go. So I, I've really always been somebody who believes that there's, there's a real power and purpose to the leadership that our government officials have. And, you know, when you look at somebody like who can inspire people and uh, it, so I, I, I think that I've always known there's politics is politics, right? That there are some maneuverings that happen to advance a position, but I had never experienced political theater hmm. the way that I had experienced it with the crisis that we were working on together. And to have for political purposes, people's lives manipulated. And that was a very difficult pill for me to swallow. Um, it, I think that it's, in one hand, it's jaded me. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, I still found myself with this most recent election, fighting as hard as I possibly could to, to, to try to advance and make changes in our country. And so, yes, I'm jaded, but I'm also still optimistic and hopeful. So that's, that may be the, the mark of a, of a wise person, right? Is to hold <laughs> two opposing ideas in their head at once. So yes. Um, I would agree. I mean, you know who reminds me of our, our lovely friend, Carol, um, mm-hmm. who, who, you know, she, and I actually think that, you know, that's what makes for a really smart person like her is to be able to see it from both sides. And I, I, I see her as a model for that, to be able to see it and hold those two opposing views at the same time mm-hmm. and conflicting views. <laughs> When you, when you think about that and you, you look at the, the way these types of issues evolve, whether it's a challenge in your, in your job or whether it's a, a challenge in your, in your personal life, do you see it as um, kind of a cumulative journey where you're, where you're, you're seeking to understand and you're, you're trying to find a, a place in the world where kind of your unique skill set as adds value. Is that a journey that you're on as part of who you are? Because it seems to me like you have a sense of purpose, kind of know what you're trying to, to go after in terms of the, the impact that you're having on the world. I think I'm on a journey. I, I don't know if it's a deliberate or conscious journey, but I think that that's why you know, going back to the conversation back in Normandy and Deauville, to have that conversation with that person is part of my own personal journey as well, is to try to figure out how others think and how others see the world so that I can better understand them and then advance, you know, and this isn't to be manipulative, it's more to, you know, to try to see if I can shift perspective to the to to how I see it. Um, and I'm not sure I'm being extremely articulate here, I, but I, I do see this is something that is part of a, of a journey. I'm not there yet mm-hmm. <laughs> as a person, mm-hmm. um, as, as a human being, um, as an employee, you know, I think I've got, you know, I've got work yet to do as a person. 
Yeah, I mean, from from my perspective, what I see is someone who wants to get in on the inside and have an impact. And so mm-hmm. wherever you can push the context, uh, I think I see you doing that. So, so yeah, I have a, I, the, my favorite example is you know working with the live uh, our live open team and trying to advance the human rights campaigns corporate equality index. You know, to mm-hmm. me, it's. You know, so just to give some context, so the company was considering that we used to work at, you know, or I used to work at, you know, just was considering as part of its diversity and inclusion efforts, going after this third party designation of being um, open to LGBTQ matters and what our policies would be, et cetera. And there's a rating system from the human rights campaign called the Corporate Equality Index. Mm-hmm. And I when I discovered that the Live Open team wanted to go after it, Live Open was our employee resource group that was fighting for this. I got right there in there with them. I mean, really mm-hmm. jumped in because I felt, you know, it's it is something I'm personally passionate about that they deserve to to get as many kinds of policies that can support them as everybody else. Um, mm-hmm. And so, and to me, that's a human right. Um, and Mm -hmm. so I think that I probably put some of my career on the line Mm -hmm. to fight for some of the things that I, um, saw there. Um, and you know, I think we got very much, um, some, we, we had some policies that were even better than I think that the organization realized. I think we opened everybody's eyes that we were farther along on that journey than we even imagined we were. Mm -hmm. Um, but we, unless we had tried for it, we would never have even known. Um, and I'll never forget the conversations around the board table that, that one day where Tom had asked, like, anybody know anything about this corporate equality index being asked about it and sitting there with you and getting put on my paces as to why we should do it. Um, and just making my personal impassioned plea and my professional impassioned plea for why it was so important. And I think you're, you know, you, you probably felt the same way as I did. I walked away from that conversation thinking there's no way, there's no way that we're moving forward on this. And then a week later I discovered we are. Um, and I'll never forget the conversation I had with him, with, with Tom about what changed. He's like, mm-hmm. you, you, you made the case. You made it clear to me. I'm like, oh, I did. <laughs> <laughs> that's, I think that's a, another leap forward, right? When, mm-hmm. when you look around the room and you're looking for the expert and you realize they're all looking at you and you're the expert. Yes. So how have you, how have you adapted to that, that movement? Um, because it's happened uh, on, in, in several different contexts, whether it's crisis or, or programming um, as you've, gain more experience. Um, how's that feel? Oh, I think it's scary as I'll get out. Mm-hmm. I think it's really scary. And, you know, I think that imposter syndrome is real. Um, and how, how could I be that person? How is that even possible? How am I the one who's the expert at this? Um, and I read about that and you, you look, you know, you, you see that others talk about it and then all of a sudden you're in a room and wait, how did I get here? How am I the person everybody's turning to? And I think that, you know, 
for me, I really think that I have just had to fight to get comfortable with being in un uncomfortable situations and how to, how, how to get that level of confidence and calm in the face of internally feeling like completely in turmoil. So give me an example of where you've done something that you never thought was possible or where you've wound up engaging with people that you, you never thought you would engage in. It's a great question. Well, it's actually funny. The story that comes to mind is something that where it opened my eyes to someone else seeing me in a way that I didn't see myself. And it goes back to when I was working at camp in college and I was responsible for a bus of children in New York City. We had to meet up with the parents and gather all the kids in their trunks and get them going. And it was a shit show. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't remember exactly what was going wrong, but everything was a mess. It was heated. People were upset. And I just, the more upset people around me got, the calmer <laughs> I got on the outside. On the mm -hmm. inside, I was a mess. Mm -hmm. And somebody said to me afterwards, you handled that like so well. Like what? And I'm like, really? Because on the inside, I was a disaster. And it was somebody else saying to me, you seemed so calm and put together and you settled that situation. To me, that was a discovery that I had this skill of being able to keep a calm demeanor, even if in the inside I was freaking the F out. Um, and so, you know, I think we've experienced enough crisis work within our careers together that mm -hmm. we've had those moments where everyone around us is getting panicked, panicked. Mm -hmm. And I lean on that skill set of if I freak out too, we're going down. Mm -hmm. We're going to go down. So I need to be calm. I need to lean on that skill. And even if my head is spinning, I'm going to work off of instinct and experience and yeah, just stay calm. It's funny when that happens, right? It, it actually bleeds over into your personal life. I yes. had a, I had a issue just recently where, um, after the, after the, the thing got resolved and it was fine. Um, the doctor looked at me and said, uh, yeah, like you, you just got really, really quiet and calm. I thought you were like sleep or something like that. I'm like, no, <laughs> the worse it gets, the quieter I get, the, the, you know, the calmer I get mm -hmm. because then it's, it's a, a problem to solve, right? It doesn't right. panic, doesn't help you. So no, it actually, it, it hurts you. It does. I mean, the, and the I, more panicked you are. Mm -hmm. And that's the courage, right? Is that panic is going to slow me down. So I'm going to put that aside and I'm going to move forward. So I'm going to, I'm going to ask you a couple of, um, different questions because I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm interested in how you, you view the world. Mm -hmm. So what's a question that you wish someone would ask you, but they never do? Wow. That's, that's a tough one. Man, I, I mean, this is a long, long pause. I, that's, I mean, I have never thought of that. What if somebody not asked me that I wish that they would? Is that, that's your question, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't know. I, 
there's part of me that wants to say something to the effect of how are you really? Mm. <laughs> Not yeah. like, you know, the, the happy bubbly face you put on, but like what's mm -hmm. really going on with you? Do you know what I mean? And yeah. I, I think that because I come across very confident and strong, um, that sometimes people forget that I'm a pretty sensitive person mm -hmm. underneath it all. Um, so maybe something to that effect. Um, I don't know. No, that makes sense. And I, and I think that part of it is that, you know, if I, if I may, of course, um, <laughs> watching you as a woman stand up in front of what are largely male dominated teams and management structures and say, let me finish. <laughs> Excuse me. I mean, there are, there are, we, we talk about this all the time. There are tells, there are things that you do to stop mansplaining when it starts to, to call attention to the social awkwardness of somebody talking over you. Mm -hmm. And they're very, um, they're very pleasant. I was gonna say, hopefully they're polite. They are. They are. They polite are. But, but firm. Oh, no, I, mean, I think that's the. It's almost like the. It, it's almost like watching a surgeon take out their toolkit. You know, it's like they unfurl all of the scalpels and the knives and the clamps, and it's like, okay, which one am I going to choose for this one? Well, you know, I did want to be a doctor. Well, I'm telling you, some of them are sharp. <laughs> like, Ow! I saw that one coming. <laughs> and and I um. Oh. And I, and I say that because I think that the agenda that you have is to open up those environments for the people that come after you because I've seen you do it. Yeah. I mean, I think that, that there is a piece to that. I mean, look, you know, as I look at the generation before me and, you know, what they've had to fight and I look at that, I'm like, oh, geez, you know, I don't want anybody else to have to face that. Um and, you know, I think that that's why, you know, when something as got, it made me gobsmacked that, you know, this, this was a double whammy of being in a meeting and somebody saying, oh, Dina, will you take the notes? And I said, you know, I think that that should be a responsibility that's a shared responsibility and everyone takes a turn, you know, mm -hmm. and I think that's a combination of the perspective that uh, being a woman but also being a communications person, you know, and th there's a dismissiveness. Oh, the communications person can take the notes. And there's a part of me that thinks they're saying it because I'm a woman. Um, and um, I don't agree with that. <laughs> I just don't agree. And I have a lot more to offer than just being the note taker. Um, so I don't stand for it. <laughs> no, you don't. No, you don't. And, and this is and this is maybe you know when we talk about allies and I and I think about you know the the role I can play when I watch these things happen mm. as you, as as they happen to you or they happen to someone else. My agenda clicks into place. Like, okay, how am I going to make this um, a more inclusive place? And how mm -hmm. am I going to get that individual or that person? And, and after the fact, or in some cases during, you might mm -hmm. see me step in. Especially when people are getting attacked, I don't like that. Um, mm -hmm. There's a there's a certain privilege to me, you know, being a white male, um, you know, heterosexual, and mostly kind of looking as if I'm Northern European, mm -hmm. where I don't get a lot of pushback other than a Spanish woman's first name. 
which is, you know, interesting <laughs> to see that happen before people right. meet me and then have them adjust that they think I'm a woman first or that I'm, you know, Latino. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is a privilege that I have because when somebody came to me and said, hey, can you do this thing? Um, and they were a, an executive. It was in a different company. My response to them was, fuck you, you go do it. That's mm-hmm. not my job. And I had the privilege of being a man, um, of having a, a strong kind of um, power base of the people that supported me. Um, and I wasn't worried about having that damage my career. I was actually more just straight out outraged that the person was asking me to do something like that. So I watch you handle it with more sophistication and finesse. But do you think that as a woman um, and as a Jewish woman that you're referencing these relationships kind of in lightning speed whenever you walk into an environment? How is this room set up? Where's their bias? Where do I fit in this? Is that something that you do intrinsically, naturally, because of the how frequently you see people kind of playing these cards? That's a great question. I don't think it's conscious. I, I think it's just kind of part of who I am. I, I read the room. I see what's going on. And I think, too, that I think that's why when I see something happening that I find to not fit my world order of this isn't fair, this isn't right, this is the kind of organization I want to work for. Mm-hmm. I, I want to push, you know, push push the boundaries a bit. Um, that's when I really feel like I've hit my sweet spot, mm-hmm. you know, where where I find that maybe that is my purpose is to keep pushing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that. No, that makes a lot of sense. You know, and, well, but, but, so, go, no, go ahead. No, I mean, because whether it's, you know, what was going on with, you know, this, uh, as it's gotten more and more heated over the, the summer and, you know, Black Lives Matter, or if it's the topic of LGBTQ, whatever it is, I mean, it's, it's those causes that I find myself getting the most passionate about um, because I, I feel that they deserve to they deserve better. So let me ask you. Let me ask you uh, the same question from two different facets of your life. Mm-hmm. What, what? Give me an example of somebody or or a behavior that would be very helpful for you as a Jewish person uh, for somebody to be an advocate. What can they do that shows support for that facet of your life? I'll tell you don't plan a huge event for the organization on Rosh Hashanah, (laughs) you know, and I think it's just being aware. I mean, I think we've talked about this before about having a calendar of the major events in others' lives, you know, Mm. Diwali or Rosh Hashanah or whatever the, you know, you know, and, and just being conscious of the fact that, Oh, well, you would never plan that event for Christmas. Um, and so it, to me, it's about just being respectful and aware of the calendar and of the impact on other people. If you're going to plan something that's mm-hmm. going to impact them professionally. Um, um, that's one, that's one. 
<laughs> well, so, so then tell me about it from a perspective as a woman. If you, if you, if a man can be an advocate for women's rights, what would you like them to, how would you like them to see, to show that they're an ally? I'd like that if in an instance where you're observing the guys in a company or in a situation mm-hmm. talking about a woman or poo-pooing her skill set or, mm-hmm. you know, and being cognizant that there probably is some misogyny going on there mm-hmm. if all the women are you know, not quite ready for that next role. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's really about being aware of it. And if you're noticing a pattern where the men are all, you know, yes, they have this challenge or that challenge or, you know, in their skill sets, but, you know, it seems to me that, you know, um, there happened to be a lot of women who didn't seem to be quite ready for that next role. Mm -hmm. So tell me, give me an example of something that you accomplished that you didn't think you could accomplish that really surprised you that you were able to to do it so well or at the scale that um, that you did. I think a lot of the things I did, in, you know, in the last ten years, I'd put in that bucket. I mean, everything from, you know, the handling, you know, inquiries that are for the cover of the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal, and um, to negotiating with the city of Philadelphia um, to secure the um, the oval for our company's 350th anniversary, mm-hmm. leveraging those relationships to parlay for the company to sponsor the renovation of the iconic Love Park. Mm-hmm. You know, those are things I don't think I would have thought I would be doing. Running that 350th anniversary with you for that nine day event. You know, that was a huge project, mm-hmm. huge. Um, so, and I will say that, um, you know, being recognized on a national level um, with, you know, a top women in communications, a top women in PR, that was something mm-hmm. I would have looked at and said, never, <laughs> no, it wouldn't happen. Um, and I won both. So, um, and I know that, you know, it was part of our, our strategy to elevate women and raise the profile of women executives as part of the way we position the company to go after those kinds of awards. So on one hand, it's nice to get the recognition. On the other hand, I know it's part of our strategy um, and I'm cognizant of that, but I'm still pretty proud. Well, but yeah, I mean, it can be part of your strategy and it doesn't mean that it's not deserving. Yeah. Exactly. yeah, you can still get shot down. Yeah, your, strategy, exactly. your strategy is not necessarily anybody else's strategy. Exactly, uh, exactly. So, so then um, I'm gonna I'm gonna end with the two questions that okay. um, that, I, that I usually end with in in the context of everything that's happening. Right, it looks like there's another huge hit we're gonna take on on COVID in the next couple of weeks. Um, mm-hmm. The other side of the election. Um, the two questions that I that I have are so what. So what that all of this is happening? What does it mean? Put it in context for me with the knowledge that you have, and then I'll ask the second question. So, so what about COVID and the what election? About, so what about where we are? I mean, we we have got right. so many major things going on now. We sure what, do. What what does that does it matter that you've got all of these things happening? Does it matter to people's lives? Does it matter to the way the world is evolving? Are we? Is this kind of confluence of events going to change something? Is it breaking a logjam? What do you think? a great question. I, I do think that 
you know, I'm going to personalize it a little bit. I mean, to me, the, you know, the fact that COVID is just raging and keeps the numbers just keep rising. And um, to me, it is 100% solidifying what is the most important in my life um, and in my family's life and uh, making sure that we stay safe and that we keep others around us safe. Mm-hmm. And I think the other component to to COVID, and I think it speaks to what I was talking about earlier in our conversation about, you know, repair the world, heal the world. I mean, the idea that this is about everyone and not just about you. Um, and so <laughs> the, you know, the, the trying to put in perspective that you may want to go and be with your families for the holidays, you may want to, you know, just throw caution to the wind, but it's more than about just you. Um, and I think that that's a lesson we can take from now for forever. It's, it should never have only been about us um, and our, you know, just ourselves. And I think that's the perspective I'd like everybody to think about. Um, so I think that's actually maybe, I don't, want to argue with people about a right answer or a wrong answer, but that would be a, a more right answer than anyone that I've heard so far. Oh, thank you. I um, mean, I just, I mean, I think you're watching it too. I mean, uh, we're just, it just, it just cannot continue like this. It just well, can't. No, you can't. And you know, I'm, I'm, I've got these, uh, it's going to sound wrong. I have, I have these older ladies that I have my eye on, mm-hmm. um, that, that every Thursday, <laughs> Today at two o'clock, there are going to be these women in their sixties and seventies who will sit outside, uh, not two hundred and fifty yards from my home, and they do a Black Lives Matter protest. Oh. And they're two older white ladies, um, and they they're just in the neighborhood. And what started out as two older white ladies holding up signs and asking people to beep has grown into twenty, forty, sometimes fifty people. And it's funny because. Um, it's on a side road. It's not a major road. It's just people sitting in front of their houses with some signs and they just keep going. They've been doing it since the summer and I'm going to interview these ladies, but I would put you in that camp. I would put you in the camp of somebody who does what they believe is right, no matter who's looking. And, you know, we always talk about, you know, characters being, you know, before we stop and right. in the middle of the night, in the middle of nowhere and the light is red, do you go through the light? And I think there are things about you that I, I admire, and I think one of them is that is that courage. So I'm gonna I'm gonna end on this one. Now what? With all of this going on, where do we go from here? How do we bring home if it is about shifting a culture to empathy? You know, mm-hmm. about this collaborative economics that you know I've been hammering on for years about. Um, yeah. What do you do? How do you make it? more than just a blip? It's a great question. I mean, the reality is that, you know, we've got a lot going on in our world, right? This moment. Um, and it is, it's one thing to be watching the news and living your lives. Our, everybody's lives are being impacted right now. Right. Like, so, you know, my hope is that people take this lesson and, um, really, really absorb it. Um, cause history has a 
funny way of repeating itself. Mm. <laughs> and mm-hmm. um, so I, I, I'm, I, I'm sorry, I'm struggling a little bit with the, the now what. I just, um, I just hope that um, the, the difficult lessons that we're learning right now um, mm. really hit home that we have a world that needs people who are thinking beyond just themselves. That, it just, it's just, we won't survive otherwise. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's, to me, the, um, the thing I find fascinating is that there have been other inflection points. You know, World War II is a great example. It is. Um, but you also have the Vietnam War, where um, during that time, what you saw was a schism. Yeah. Half the population feeling one way, the other half feeling the other. And it was this battle. And I see the battle of the science versus non-science. That's so funny. Right? I just asked my father about that the other day and trying to understand, like, how does this compare? What mm-hmm. What's going on now? How does this feel to you, having lived through that, compared to now? And, you know, the way he described it is it's very similar. Mm-hmm. It's a similar kind of feeling. You know, the world... I mean, we just saw this with our election. I mean, it's amazing to me how divided our country is and how it, and I know we're the liberal elite, we're on the East Coast, you know, we fall in that, in that camp and, but it's, it is hard to understand the, um, the, the other perspective. And I think that's why I'm sure you, you might have this in your life too. I have friends who are, very, very conservative. And mm-hmm. I, I have friends who are friends with them who've unfriended them on Facebook. And yes. I have never done that. I've maintained my friendships mm-hmm. for the same reason, as I said before, because I, I have to understand their perspective in order to be able to live side by side with them. So, you know, I can't think of a better place to end because <laughs> that, that idea and, and, you know, it could come directly from your family. It com- could come from your faith. It could f- come from your experiences. But that seeking to understand and sitting in an uncomfortable situation, the way you can and do, mm-hmm. doesn't seem to bother you the way it would bother me. I, um, I will say, you know, I actually have neighbors who have the big old Trump signs outside. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my mom was like, wow, how can you even talk to them? And I was like, because they're my neighbors and my mm-hmm. children play with their children. And mm-hmm. I'd rather have a conversation, even if I don't agree, than to shut it down. And then I'm just as bad as everybody else. Well, I but that's true. And, and that's the part that I, that I think, um, you know, if, I, if I've listened while I've talked to all of the people that I've spoken to, this mantra that you have, of to seek to understand is maybe the most important. Thank you. So I I really do appreciate that. And and even in the context of today, I learned a little bit more around the context of of how you apply that. Um, And I like that. I really, I really enjoy watching that. I'll miss that about working closely with you is to see how you do that. Um, So that's all the time that we have. Thank you so much. Um, I could talk to you forever. You know that um, I have. Um, <laughs> so if, if, um, if there are other people that you think would benefit from this, um, having this type of discussion, I kind of, I throw that out to you, Dina, mm-hmm. you know, my way. Uh, and then to everybody else, if you have questions, uh, of Dina or, or of me, 
uh, or you have other people that you can suggest we speak to, please do that. But that's all the time we have right now. I want to thank Dina for coming on and talking. Thanks, Carmen. And um, tune in next time.